0: Good morning. Uh, what we're doing right now this morning is we've been in the book of Acts for a long time. And next week, Acts chapter 20, Jerry will teach that message. And it's a great message for him to be teaching next week. And so that's what he's gonna do. So what that allows us to do this morning is to have what's called a standalone message. And obviously, it is a message that I believe God can use in your life, and I hope we'll use in your life, but it's not a part of a series. It's just a standalone message, therefore the title Alone. Are you with me? Good. So what we're going to be is we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I do not believe that that is really common devotional reading for any of you. So I need to do some work to help get you up to speed so that we understand the context by which we're going to talk about this morning. Samuel was the last king and the first prophet, Okay. He was, the, excuse me, the last judge and the first prophet, the last judge and the first prophet. And so Samuel, uh, had, there's two books, and it's first and second Samuel, and this is in the historical grouping of the Old Testament. Books of the Bible are grouped up into different sections. We have the prophets. We have major prophets and minor prophets. We have the history books. And so then we also have wisdom and literature. So therefore, what what we see here right now is that the book of 1 Samuel is one of the historical books that allows us to understand the life of God's chosen people, the Israelites, and all the battles that they went through, specifically known with the Philistines. And that's where 1 Samuel chapter 14 really is going to pick it up. The Philistines and the Israelites... First, the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. He said, I am going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great among many nations. I'm going to use you to teach people a lot about who I am. Okay, that was a covenant that he made with Israel. Then we have the Philistines. And the Philistines were polytheistic in their faith system. They, were, they bowed down to the gods of Ashtoreth, the god of Dagon, and the god of Baal, Zebub, B-A-A-L, and then you can spell Zebub any way you want to, Okay? But uh, Baal's about, and so that was who they bowed down to. So when we come onto the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we have the Israelites and we have the Philistines and they are in a battle together. Samuel is telling us that Saul has come in and he's the king. If we remember our church history, we realize that Saul was a king that was appointed by the people under permission by God. They wanted a king, they wanted to elect a king, and so God let them do that. Saul was not a good king. We're going to see a little bit of that in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 14. And so what I want us to do is really take a look or I'm going to make mention of some things that took place in 13 so that you could understand 14 that we can all understand 14 a lot better. And so in chapter 13 there was a major battle between the Philistines and the Israelites and the Israelites got it handed to them. They were utterly defeated, kind of like Alabama and LSU, or Clemson and whoever in the world they play, okay? Vickery, that's for you, okay? And um, so, so here's, what we, here's what we see, is we see an unbelievable defeat of the Israelites in chapter 13. In chapter 13, they come in, the, the, the Philistines come in, and they destroy the Israelites. Some of them run, and they take over the Israelite sort of garrison, or the camp, as we should call it. And so you have basically them sitting in that area. It's, uh, one of the, the texts says that the Philistines, who were as numerous as the sand, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 5, the soldiers were completely overmatched and Saul in his arrogance even went into battle when it was not wise. And it said that the people quaked with fear. They were overwhelmed. So all of this disobedience, all of this arrogance... And he then becomes a coward, and that's where we pick it up in First Samuel chapter fourteen. What we're going to do is I'm going to read a couple of verses. We're going to talk about it. Read a couple of verses. Talk about it. Read a couple of verses. Talk about it. We'll go from we'll go from one all the way to twenty three, and then we have three points here at the end. Okay, so we want to telegraph where we're going. So let's take a look at First Samuel fourteen. First Samuel fourteen, starting at verse one. Okay, starting at verse one. Here's what it says. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Verse 2, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migran. So here's, let's, let's just make sure we understand what's going on. Saul is coming after an absolute defeat. It is said that Saul and, and, excuse, Saul and Jonathan, there are two swords, two weapons for battle. Saul has one, and Jonathan has one. The defeat is overwhelming, and here is Saul, who is the king. He goes and he retreats into a cave. So it says a pomegranate cave. Jonathan, as we hear in verse 1, one day says, hey, let's go out, and let's go see this Philistine garrison. Let's keep going right now. Verse number two, the second part of it says, the people who were with him were about 600 men. That's 600 men in the cave with Saul. Verse three, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. So there are all these soldiers that were following their leader, who is Saul. And they are hunkered down in a cave, packed into a cave. Because they were defeated and they were running away. And so that's where they are, but not Jonathan and his armor bearer. Keep reading. It says, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison. There was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And I know exactly what you're asking. What in the world is a crag? I was wondering that same thing too. And so here is the definition of a crag. Here it is. A steep or rugged cliff or rock face. To effectively see what they were up against, Jonathan comes out of the cave. He looks before him. He said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go see the Philistines' base camp. We're going to go take a look at what they have overtaken In order to get there, there are these things such as rocky crags, which means it's not a leisure stroll on the beach or through a park. It is a difficult, difficult journey. Jonathan takes his armor bearer, his secret service, so to speak, and he and his armor bearer go up, and they're going to take a look at the Philistine garrison or their base camp. Keep going. The name... Of the one was Bozaz and the name of the other Senea. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Giba. Verse six, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison, all of, of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So we got 600 men hiding in a cave playing follow the leader. We have two guys, ordinary guys with big faith and a big God. They step out of the cave and they declare, Jonathan declares, not because he's watching his dad, but in spite of his dad's leadership and he says, nothing can hinder the work of the Lord, whether it be with many or with few. Jonathan's humility recognized that he simply doesn't need me, but he simply can use me and that is profound, unbelievable leadership by him. I'm overwhelmed when I take a look at that text, and I see sometimes how we get, handi- we get handcuffed by looking at something that happened to us in the past, maybe because of a family member or a friend, and we get hindered by what God wants us to do. I, want, I desire to see that Northwest, that we would have this type of faith, that God can do much, with much or with little, that he can do it. That's what, this, that's what Jonathan and his armor bearer is acting upon. Verse seven, and his armor bearer said to him, this is unbelievable, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And I gotta ask you a question. Do you have a friend like that? We need to be very careful who we surround, our, surround ourselves with. Jonathan surrounded himself with this armor bearer who said, Jonathan says, man, God can do much with little or or, or with few. And his armor bearer just comes and affirms him, encourages him. And every single one of us need a friend like that in our lives. Hashtag get in the life group. That was free. That wasn't in here. Okay. That wasn't in my notes. You need an armor bearer type of friend. Okay. It's an armor bearer type of friend. Verse eight. Let's keep going. Verse 8 says this, then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Verse 9, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. Verse 10, but if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. Verse 11, so both of them uh, showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and look at what the Philistines said. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And I'm asking you, Northwest Community Church, let us not be a group of people that are hiding in a hole. Because it says right here that the, 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 the garrison of the Philistines are taking a look at Jonathan and his armor bearer and are coming up this hill and it's like, look, they're coming out of the hole where they have hidden themselves. I don't know if you remember this or not, but we serve a God who is faithful, who is good, who is sufficient for all things. He created the earth. He created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh. And here we sit there and Jonathan is demonstrating to us that, hey, I'm not going to hide in the hole. Verse 12, and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. I look at Jonathan, I'm like, look at that great confidence that he has in the Lord. The Lord has given them to me. It is the Lord who delivers. It is the Lord who saves. It is the Lord who redeems. It is all the Lord. Verse 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And I need to stop right there and we need to rebuke Jonathan. And here's why. There are two exercises that are of the devil, in my opinion. First is the burpee, and second is the bear crawl. And it says right here that Jonathan looked at the mountain, and he got on his hands and feet, his hands and his knees, and climbed up there. Jonathan created the the, the bear crawl, and he needs to be accountable to that. I'm in a group called f 3 and there are a lot of burpees and a lot of bear crawls very early in the morning. And I continue to go, so you can question that. But I love it and I hate it. So I look over here and I say, Jonathan needs to be rebuked for his invention of the bear crawl. All right, let's keep going. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer and killed them. And in and the, and the first strike, listen, at the first strike, there's two people here. Jonathan and his armor bearer, the first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. I mean, he just went Jason Bourne, Jack Bauer, all in one motion. First strike, 20 men taken out. He's not playing around, verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison, this is the Philistines, they're nervous, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became, a very great, it became a very great panic. The Philistines were being humbled. This is what's taking place right now. You have the Philistines that are taking a place and they're being completely humbled by this young kid who's not following his dad's failed leadership. He's following in spite of it. He's not letting his dad's failed leadership hold him back. He's going up there for the glory of God. So he's incredibly, incredibly, they're incredibly humbled. Verse 16, and the watchman of Saul in in Gibeah, we're back on to Saul now. He's in the cave, remember with the 600. Of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. 17, then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. Saul's a little upset, he's a little mad. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. 18. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the Ark of the of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now with Saul, now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And so Saul finally comes, sees that God is moving and demonstrating, and he comes in to jump in on the action. He takes his people out of the cave and goes into action because he already sees victory in hand. And behold, every Philistine's word was against his fellow. And there was a great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp... Even they also turned to be with the the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Here's, let me just take what's going on. The battle was unbelievable in chapter 13. The Philistines basically destroyed the Israelites. Didn't destroy them, but defeated them in a big way. We have them retreating. What took place are some of the Hebrews or some of the Israelites joined the camp of the Philistines and were fighting for the Philistines now. Jonathan and his armor bearer come up out of the cave, bear crawl up the mountain, take the victory, and all of a sudden, those who left the, Philist- left the Israelites, joined the Philistines, are now coming back and fighting with Jonathan and Saul and his armor bearer. Great confusion arose because they saw what took place. These Hebrews that were now serving the Philistine army, now they're coming out and they're going, Whoa we want to be with him. We want to fight with him. We want to have that kind of faith. And behold, let's, let's keep going, the, last, the, rest, the rest of verse 20. And behold, every Philistine's word was against his fellow and, and there was great confusion. Let's jump down to 22. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were, feel, were fleeing and they too followed hard after them in battle, So here's the key, they saw someone stand up for God, and it was completely contagious in how they responded. And so really, what I want us to see is, I want us to see three lessons that we can learn because of this, really, this text that we have this morning. I'm in a Bible study with some guys from F3, and we're going through the book of 1 Samuel, And this text just really overwhelmed me and encouraged me, and I pray that it'll do the same for you today. And the first thing that I want you to see really clearly in the text is I want you to see this. God can do more in one day than you can ask or imagine, so let him have your calendar. God can do more in one day than you can ask or imagine, so let him have your calendar. If you go back to the text in verse 1 it starts off, the very first word, which overwhelmed me, is one day. Here we are talking about one specific day. Here comes Jonathan, seeing his father go into a cave, seeing their, his army depleted and really, really, um, uh, de- really defeated in such a unique and powerful way that they didn't even have tools to fight with. They had garden utensils. And here it comes in chapter 14. With the first word it says, there's two words, one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, he stood up. And so my encouragement to you right now is never underestimate what God can do in one day in your life. Never take for granted how he can take one day and make it two days and make it three days. And next thing he's made it a week and next thing he's made it a month. And so my encouragement to us as we sit here today, as we sit here and go, I want to organize my life to where my life is a compilation of days for the glory of God, and so I'm asking you and I'm begging you, submit your calendar to him. reevaluate what we do on a regular basis for the glory of God and the fame of his name. There's so many things that we as consumers fill our days with that all of a sudden we say, we don't see God moving. When I will tell you this right now, he's never stopped. And he will never stop. He is moving, he will move, and he wants us to be a part of it. And he looks down here at Jonathan, and Jonathan takes one day at a time. And I don't think he'll ever forget this day. So there are a bunch of days in our lives that we'll, we'll, we'll never forget. I mean, J- July 4th, 1776, none of us were there, but we do remember July 4th was the signing of the direct Declaration of Independence. It's the birth of America. October 31st, 1517 was one of the greatest days in the history of Christianity. We call it the Great Reformation. Catholics were selling indulgences for you to get forgiveness of sins. If you want to get forgiveness of sins, they were selling indulgences. Martin Luther stood up, nailed 95 theses to the wall. October 31st, 1517, 501 years ago, as the, as the birthday was Wednesday. And he nailed it up there and he said, listen, we are completely justified, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And it is not of ourselves. It is not by works, lest any man should boast. That is a day I pray you will never forget. October 31st, 1517. July 20th, 1969. That's when we landed on the moon. That's a pretty significant day in our history. December 7th, 1941. Pearl Harbor was bombed. That's another day. A one day that we don't forget. September 11th, 2001, the 9-11 attack on New York City. We will never forget that day because a lot happened in that day. And October 4th, 2018, Scott Lusheen and Anna Aragi will not forget this day. Come on. I want to fill most of you in. Scott Lusheen is our worship uh, leader and um, he is not here today because at four o'clock today a lot of us are gonna gather and we're gonna watch he and Anna get married and he will not forget this day. You'll never forget the day that you got married. You'll never forget the day I hope that you gave your life to Jesus. You probably won't forget the day that your kids were born. All of these days are important and when they combine together they allow us to sit there and say God my days are yours. They're not my own. They are a gift to you, gift from you to me, but let me use my day as an opportunity to see you move in a way that I cannot explain. But Jesus, you see, here's, here's the reason. Here's the reason that Jonathan could sit there and realize that a day was so important. Because Jonathan understood that on day one, that God created the heavens and the earth. And on day two, he creates the sky. And on day three, he had the dry land and the plant life. And on day four, the stars, the sun, and the moon. And day five, life in the water. And day six, all creatures on dry land. And so he looked and said, that's what God can do in six days. Six days, he can do something in this day. And that's why he came out of the cave. The Bible says that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118 24. Every day is an incredible gift from God. So, God can do more in one day than we could ever ask or imagine. So, let Him have our calendar. Let Him have our calendar. Number two, God does not live in the cave. Saul loses badly. And he leads his men in the cave. Now, listen, I wanna let you, I wanna preface this really quick. It's the context of this point that makes, that allows you to see the point. You're in a dark place in your life, and I want you to know something that God is ever present in that place. I want you to know that. He is there, He is in the midst. But what I'm saying here is in this context, Saul goes to a cave because he is running something, not to someone. And I want us to understand that we will never understand who God is when we disobey him by running and hiding in a cave rather than taking on the mountain. This is what Saul does. He's he's disobeying God. He is a coward. He is sinning. There is a mountain in front of him. He is a leader and he leads people over into the side on the cave. And I, I recognize this right now that some of us right now are so overwhelmed because of a mountain that might be in front of us that we're not able to even see that it's worth coming out of the cave. Sometimes you can sit there and say, well, listen, there's this sin in my life that has tripped me up or it's caused me to hinder to and I'm, I'm over here and I'm sulking and I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I can't get out. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to come out of that cave because God's not in that. You can see far more than what he can do when you come out and you embrace that hill. Sometimes what, what God does, and I want you to, you know, things that I've been learning and studying. This is a standalone message. It's a Bible study that I have with my friends that God's really used this message in my life. And sometimes we get stuck in the cave because we give the, give the devil too much credit. I'll explain that a little bit. See, the one way that the devil stumps you and I up is he brings up your past and causes us to be ineffective and in some cases not run to the mountain and climb up the mountain, but runs us to, helps us to, forces us to run into a cave and hide and sulk and maybe even complain. But I need to let you know something that someone shared with me just recently and said this, that do not let Satan trip you up by reminding you of your past because he only does that because he does not know the future. And so the way that he causes us to be Tripped up and stumped up and and stale in our relationship with the Lord is he brings up the past. He is incapable, he is not omnipresent, omnipotent to bring up the future because he does not know it. And so how we get tripped up is we get tripped up by believing the lie of the past. When God is sitting here before us going, I've got great plans for you. Embrace them and run to them it's an overwhelming thought to to me personally just to us and just to go overwhelmed that don't don't believe those lies that were in the in the past let's go let's do that god doesn't live in the cave let's 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 answer the question what what do we what do we do before we answer that question, I just want to share with you something that happened this week. I really wasn't planning on sharing it, and I, I did this this morning, but when you take a look at God doesn't live in the cave, and must be effective for him, and we take a look at our days coming together, I just am overwhelmed by what God did this past Tuesday. My son is in a play in, in, in Garner, and he's got practice, and so I went down to Garner to bring him uh, to his, the play practice, and after it was over... Um, he was like, Dad, I'm not hungry, but I'm really thirsty. And so I was like, okay, let me just I'll just pull off first place I find and get you something to drink. And I pulled into Walgreens, um, Aversboro Road in Garner, and pulled into Walgreens, and there was a lady in her car in a handicapped spot, and she was trying to pump up her tire that was completely flat with a, a pump for a basketball. And um, things weren't going very well, and you could tell on her face that it just wasn't going very well. And the reason I tell you the story is how God orchestrates our days, orchestrates how he is moving when we're outside of the cave and we can see him move. And so that's the purpose of this illustration. So I got out of my car and I said, do you need some help? She says, well, I've got this compressor. It's brand new, but it's not doing a thing. And so made sure that it was on right and I was like really excited. I mean, I'm in Gardner and I live in Cary and I'm like, I'm going to change a tire. I kind of felt like a man. So Joyce and I started talking and Andrew's over there, and he's—I I know he's going. This is going to take a long time. That's right. And so anyway, so I got down there, and I was like, okay. So I got the spare out of her trunk, and we set it down on the side. And you know, they give you this jack, and I got the car jacked, and you don't jack the car up all the way. You, you gotta—you gotta loosen the lug nuts. And so they give you this thing, and it would not take the lug nuts off. I mean, it just—I couldn't get them off. I tried, I tried, I tried, and I couldn't get them off. And so I'm sitting here going. Who in the world do I know in Gardner? Because in Gardner it's required that you have like tools and a truck. And so I, I got on the phone and I, I get my haircut. At this place called South Hills Barbershop. I've been witnessing this guy for a long time. His name is Lyle. He's a good friend. I'm sharing Christ with him. And I just said, I wonder if Lyle would come and help me get this tire, blood nuts off. I call, Lyle answers on the second ring. He said, Matt Rice, what's up? I'm like, I need help. He's like, What do you need? I said, I've got this car, this lady's, the flat tire. I need help. I can't get the lug nuts off. He goes, I'll be right there. Man, he comes up in his, in his pickup truck. They Pickup trucks, they don't pull in, they back in. It's like required. And so he backs in. He opens up the tool chest that's in the back of his truck because he's from Gardner. And he gets this lug nut thing, this, this four thing, and he comes over there. And man, we got that off in no time. We are going for NASCAR now. I mean... We were, we got the tire off in no time. And I'm just sitting here and I'm cheering or sharing Jesus with just encouraging this lady Joyce. And, 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 and Lyle is over here and he's been hearing me since 2003 talk about the Lord. And I'm just like, God, you order days. It's so much fun being out of the cave. Why would we even want to go there? Why would we want to stay there? And Lyle was like, I'm happy to help. And I was like, well, listen, man, you, I, I live in Cary. I have a golden doodle and AAA. I don't tar- I don't normally re- I don't, I really don't really, I don't change tires, okay? But I'm feeling pretty good about myself that we got that tire changed. We got that tire on. And we get to look at, at Joyce and invite her to a church that's down the street from her house, all because of just one beautiful day. One beautiful day. So what's our response? here's what's our response here's our response number three what do I want you to do what I want to challenge you to do here it is bear crawl up and over the mountain for the glory of God and the fame of his name bear crawl up and over the mountain for the glory of God and the fame of his name Jonathan was confident yet humble He was courageous. He was secure. He was not fearful. He had great faith in a great big God. He was vertically aligned. And because of this, he got to see God do some amazing things. And that's what I want for you and I to see. Um, It'll be tough. It'll be painful. Think of the mountain that we have to climb up. There's crags. There's hills. There's all kinds of rough terrain. But we'll learn so much more about him. We learn so much more about him than we ever could if we're just sulking in a cave. We'll see him do unbelievable things. If you notice our songs this morning, if you remember the songs that we, we were singing, just think about what we're talking about this morning and all of the songs that we're addressing this morning. But I really want to direct you to one more thing. February of 2013, I had the unbelievable privilege of going to Israel With my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. It was a great, fantastic trip. And I got to tour all of Israel, the old city, the new city. The very last day that we were there, we got to this place, the the Garden Tomb. And we went to the Garden Tomb and we had this. This is where Jesus was crucified. It was in the old city. You could see Golgotha, the place of the skull. In the rock, you could see that it was a skull. It looked like a skull. That's why they called it that. You can say this is where he was hung, and it was actually hung right in front of the main gate in Israel, the temp- in, in the city of Jerusalem, so that it was mockery and it was, hum- it was humiliating to him. And he was there on a cross, and then they said, but hey, hold on a second. And we walked across from where the, where the cross was, and we went to this area, and we took communion, and we drank this juice that said, this is this, bo- this, is this blood that was shed for you. This juice represents this blood that was shed for you so that you could be forgiven of some sins. And then one at a time, we went into this cave. We refer to it as a tomb. And one at a time, we went in there, and we just prayed. And we said, thank you, God, that nobody is here. Thank you that he is not dead, that he is, he is alive, that he's not dead, that he is risen. And I look at Jonathan, and I'm sitting here going like this, It's a beautiful analogy of coming out of that cave unto life because that's what King Jesus did for you and I. So therefore, that's why the crags and all, we bear crawl up and over the mountain that is before us for the glory of God and for the fame of his name, not ours. Let us not be folks that hide ourselves. Let us be, be folks that come out and climb for his good, his glory. I love you. Let's pray. God, in Jesus' name, I'm grateful for a day and what a day represents. I'm grateful that Jonathan on this day really was a profound day in his life. Lord, I wanna thank you that on April the 3rd, um, 1983, you saved my soul and I'm grateful for that day. That day has made this day possible and I am grateful for that. I'm grateful for November the 4th, and Scott's gonna be married in a couple of hours, and we're gonna celebrate that with he and Anna. But Lord, this day is yours and all of yours, and there could be someone in here today that has not said yes to you, and I pray they'd not leave here without saying that. I pray that they would give their life to you. And Lord, there's a bunch of us. There's a bunch of us, for whatever reason or whatever circumstance, we're discouraged, and we're in a cave. And we're sulking. May we, especially as men, rise up and be a leader to our families by not sulking in a cave, but coming out and seeing what you can do and will do. We recognize, God, that you don't need us. We recognize that it is an invitation for us to be a part of seeing you do some incredible things. So for your glory and our good, give us your spirit and the power that your spirit gives for us to bear crawl up the mountain for your fame and your glory and not our own. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.